Wow, God, thanks for bringing us all together this morning. What a privilege it is to come together under your name. And this season is amazing. Sometimes a little crazy, but amazing to think about your son, Jesus. So I pray that we can get all of the ornaments and the trees and the presents and the family parties out of our heads right now so we can focus on you. Pray that if anyone in here right now this morning is not feeling super close to you, God, would you, by your tender goodness and your loving wisdom, would you draw them into yourself so that might, they might experience your touch today? God, be with us this morning. Let your text speak clearly. Use me as a tool, nothing more. We all ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. My wife and I are six and a half years married. It's, uh, it's a miracle she's put up with me for six and a half years. I do love her a lot. Sometimes I wonder if she loves me back the same way. I'm kidding. She, she really does. But it's a miracle we've made it six and a half years because um, I'm a little wild. And six months into our marriage, I decided to move us to Phoenix, Arizona, where we served at a church as their youth pastor in Phoenix. By the way, if you want to have a wonderful Christmas, you wake up in Phoenix on Christmas morning, it's 72 degrees outside. <laughs> and you walk outside, and you're like, oh, 72 seems cold. And then you wait until it's like 75. And then you go sit in your pool, and you listen to White Christmas and just laugh. And drink eggnog. And that is a Christmas of wonder. So Mercy Road Church, Phoenix, Arizona, who's with me? Here we go, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm investing in Indiana for a lifetime. So like that was my Christmas for like three Christmases in a row. I loved it. It was amazing. And our second anniversary in Arizona, I go, hey, Ashley, let's go camping. And I've been camping my whole life. My goodness, my parents made me get my Eagle Scout before I could get my driver's license. So I like lived in the outdoors. I was always doing outdoor camping stuff. It was great. And I was like, let's go. And she's like, all right, let's do it. And so we pack up her 1998 Oldsmobile Bravada with all of our camping gear, our beagle, which is a dog, for those who are not dog people. We hit the road, and we drive north to Flagstaff, which is awesome. It's like the mountains. It's beautiful. It's the perfect place to go camping. And so we're on the road, and we get, you know, we're like halfway there. It started to get dark. And I'm like, okay, it's a bummer that we have to set up our, you know, tent in the dark. And that was my first sign that I should have turned around, okay? Then we get to Flagstaff, and I'm all excited because the big, beautiful pine trees and the mountains are all around, and I spend 30 minutes looking for our campground. My second sign, I should have turned around. Then, after about 45 minutes, we both just get frustrated, and we start looking for a motel that would take a dog. We couldn't find one. My third sign that I should have turned around and just gone home. Finally, right before I hit the road, back to the valley, Ashley takes my phone, and in her wifey wisdom, men take notes, she gets out my phone and finds the campground in like 80 seconds. She's like, oh, turn left, left, and right. We're there. I'm like, how? Why does this happen to me? Right? And so we get to the campsite. I'm all excited. I'm like, this is going to be the best two-year anniversary of my life. I can't wait. We throw out all of our camping gear. We start to set up the tent, and the wind starts to blow. And I'm like, we'll beat the rain. No, we didn't. What Noah had on the 40 days in the flood, we got a taste of that that night. The rain just started coming down. 
like a flood of water. The tent was soaked. She was soaked. I was soaked. My beagle's like running hot laps on the tent, howling because he's soaked. He didn't know what to do. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. We've, this is apocalyptic thunderstorm in the middle of the mountains. I don't know. And so Ashley's like, forget it. And so we throw ourselves back into her, into her SUV and we're sitting in her car. And I was like, that's the fourth sign that we should turn around. And she was like, we should probably turn around. I'm like, wait, no. Let's just camp in the car. And she's like, okay, we'll camp in the car. So we pull out our sleeping bags. We put down the back seats of the car. We lay out our sleeping bags. And I'm thinking, finally, redemption. We're going to camp. It's going to be a great weekend. Best, year, best two-year anniversary ever. And my beagle looks at me. And I look at my beagle. And he lifts his leg. <laughs> and he pees all over my wife's sleeping bag. My fifth and final sign that I should have turned around. I actually think, church, that Christmas is a lot like a two-year anniversary camping trip gone wrong. You know why? Because between Thanksgiving and Christmas, people lose their ever-loving minds. I mean, the chaos of Black Friday, the, the, the food prep for Thanksgiving, the food prep for Christmas. You're trying to finish the deal at work right before the new year. Like, oh, I got to buy my kids the right Christmas presents, and I got to get the right tree, and I got to get the ornaments just right. And if I got to get the Dole's Christmas tree farm, and if I don't, it won't be the right tree, and, and so forth and so on. And all of a sudden, Christmas becomes about everything except what it's really about. All of a sudden, we get so sidetracked and focused on the goal. I want to go on my second year anniversary camping trip. And I don't care how many signs God gives me. I'm not turning around. And Christmas is a series of signs that God gives us to tell us to turn around. Because all Christmas really does for me, sometimes... If I'm just really honest with you, just being candid, friend to friend here, Christmas exposes and brings to the surface the stress and anxiety that were already present. And it just amplifies it. It just puts an exclamation point on them. And all of a sudden, we're running around like crazy people. Because between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we have one goal. I got to make everything just right. I gotta do everything just right. I gotta make everyone happy. The Christmas season, man, it can be a great season of family and friends and fun. It can also be stressful, high anxiety time for people. This is what I ask at Christmas. I wonder if you ask these same questions too. God, what am I doing wrong? God, am I doing enough? God, are you there? God, give me a sign. That, those are the questions I ask at Christmas. I'm just wondering, are you even listening to me? Like, I'm trying to talk to you. I think what we see in the Christmas story is not a lot of this. We don't see this in the Christmas story. We don't see a lot of this. We don't see a lot of the presents under the trees. We don't see a lot of the work Christmas parties. We don't see all the mergers of the companies right before year's end. We don't see all the food preparation. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm just saying we don't see them. 
What I'm saying is what we see in the Christmas story is God telling humanity to stop ignoring the sign and turn around. You with me? Let's read the scriptures and see how God might instruct us to be more focused on what Christmas is really all about. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd use your word right now. I pray that it would not return void, but impact our lives in a practical way this morning. Amen. This is the Gospel of Luke. It will be on the screen. Let it wash over your souls as I read it. This is what the Word of God says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those to whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Wow. For us to really comprehend and appreciate what's happening in this Christmas story, we got to put ourselves in a time machine and blast back to the past. Because there's a lot going on here that we need to understand for us to appreciate what all this is all about. I want to zero our focus in on the shepherds. You see, the shepherds were the outcasts of society. They were the ones that had the job of watching all of the one-year-old lambs in Bethlehem about six miles away from Jerusalem to prepare them so that the priests could use them in the temple for sacrifices. It's kind of morbid, right? Well, that was the system back then. God accepted animal sacrifices for sin. And so what these criminals, these ex-convicts, would do is they would take this job of shepherding. They would go out to the fields and they would live among those sheep, those one-year-old lambs. And they would look the part and smell the part, and it was pretty nasty because they had probably sheep dung all over their robes, and they were living around and among dead animals, and that was their job. Their job was to protect and care for and raise the lambs that would be slaughtered in the temple for worship. This is where it gets really frustrating. Because they had sheep dung all over them and likely were criminals, ex-convicts rather, and because they slept among animals, they were ceremonially unclean. That is, they weren't allowed to worship 
in the temple. Can you imagine if you were a shepherd and you actually believed in Yahweh, God's personal name in the Old Testament, actually believed in God? I, I believe in God, but I'm not allowed to worship him because worship was always associated with space. That is the temple in Jerusalem, six miles away. So they weren't allowed to walk from the fields to the temple to worship. They were the ones that were always on the outside looking in. Oh, man, if only, oh, if only I didn't have this stupid job where I'm always covered in sheep crud, I could go worship God. I could go make that six-mile trek, and I could be part of the, the worship of God in the temple. No, they were entirely excluded from that. Can you imagine the spiritual tension that the shepherds lived with every single day? They were always the outcasts. They were always the ones on the outside looking in. And the angel showed up to them? Are you kidding me? Matthew's tradition, the way that Matthew teaches the Christmas story, the wise men from Syria that probably took tons of time to follow the star of Bethlehem, they got the star of Bethlehem, which is a solid guidance tool. But the shepherds got the personal touch of an angel. That's incredible. You know what that says about God? The fact that God showed up in the shepherds' lives, they were not expecting it. They had no reason to believe that they would ever have the opportunity or option to worship God in the temple. And yet the angel of the Lord shows up to them first. Do you know what that says about God? It says something about us. It says something about humanity. It says something about the shepherds. Unfortunately, who culture keeps at arm's length, God hugs. You feel me? We do this, right? Whoa, you're covered in poop. <laughs> Stay back, right? <laughs> like, whoa, I, you smell weird. You don't look right. Why are you even here? Don't you get, ah, ah, ah. I know what kind of job you have. I know what kind of lifestyle you live. You stay away. You smell weird. You look weird. You can't come here. God's like, come here. Come here. Let me hug you. Because we are experts at classifying people. We are champions at categorizing people in just the right categories, in just the right classes. We put people in every possible category that we can think of. But Jesus is the great equalizer. Amen. And we see that when the angel of the Lord shows up in the shepherds' lives, and he's like, I'm going to bring you good news. Like, wait, whoa, 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 me? <laughs> me? Are you sure? Like, not them? Like, the wise men? Because you know I'm a shepherd, right? I'm like an ex-convict covered in animal poop. Are you sure you're talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm bringing you good news. It's going to cause great joy. And it's going to be for all the people. I think sometimes we think that God has got this like eye for the one who's doing the best. Notice me, God. <laughs> I look really nice. I wear the right clothes. My family looks just right. I've got a great job. And I don't have anything on. I don't have any criminal history at all. Maybe a parking ticket here or there. But I'm altogether pretty good. I don't think God really notices that. I don't think God really cares. As a matter of fact, the Christmas story says that he's actually after the people that think that they can't have any time or face time with God. 
We see God being like, oh, you think you're excluded. Let me show you otherwise. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that God hugs who we keep at arm's length? Church, don't miss this. An angel comes to them and gives them good news. Verse 10, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Unemployed people, employed people, rich people, poor people, fat people, skinny people, white people, black people, brown people, yellow people, every kind of people that is on this earth, God is for. And he's in their corner. And he's saying, you're the ones that have categorized and classified. I am showing you that I am for all the people. Church, say amen to that. Amen. God is for all people. And the good news is what? Look at verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Can we just talk about the fact that I don't know. You know, when my, when my baby girl was born, I felt a lot of joy. But it was a lot of joy mixed with a lot of stress. I was like, I've never changed a diaper in my life. Are you kidding me? I've also never changed a diaper on no sleep for 20 hours. Did I put the diaper in the right place? Like, you know what I mean? Like, a baby? Are you sure, Angel? A baby's going to cause great joy? I mean, yeah, it's a big deal for the mom and dad. But, like, you kind of wait for that baby to turn, like, two. And then you play with it. Right? No. The angel's like, listen, it'll be a sign to you. It's going to be a sign. And it's going to cause great joy. The shepherds had no reason to experience joy of any kind. So how they heard this, can you imagine? I've been excluded from temple worship my entire life. I've been always on the outside looking in my entire life. I've really never been a part of anything that matters most of my life. And you're saying now that there's going to be a sign? i got to go look for the sign? It's going to be a baby in a manger? And it's going to cause me great joy? Why? Church, where are you finding your joy? Where are you finding your joy? You're finding it in your job. You're finding it in your boy, your girl, that relationship. You're finding it in your kid's success or non-success. Finding it in your wallet? Are you finding your joy in Jesus? Here's a principle to live by, church. The joy you seek today determines your contentedness tomorrow. You show me the areas in your life you're looking for joy in, and I'll tell you whether or not you'll be content tomorrow. Simple as that. You think these shepherds were content? Not a chance. God knew that. I imagine these shepherds are asking questions like this. God, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I find a job? Why don't my kids behave? God, am I doing enough? Why don't people seem to like me? Why can't my spouse and I get on the same page? God, are you there? Why don't I hear from you or feel you? I feel so alone. God, give me a sign. And God says, I did. I did give you a sign. The sign is the Savior, and the Savior is the sign. And the Savior is the Messiah. 
So why in the world would the shepherds find joy in a little baby? It's not my kid, right? We've got some parents. I mean, let's just be honest. If it's not your kid, you're like, eh, yeah, it's cute. <laughs> All parents are way more into their kids than they are anyone else's kids, maybe unless they're like your really close friends. You're like, yeah, your kid's really cute. Just my kid, though. <laughs> so what are the shepherds seeing? What are the shepherds understanding? Why does it cause joy? That word Messiah, everything hinges on that word. The word Messiah means literally anointed, most often in reference to a king. You must understand that Israel was desperate for a king, a king to come after King David, who was even better than King David, who would do much better job than even King David did. And the difference in this anointed baby, who is the king, is that Israel had always chosen their kings up to this point. Now, God chose Israel's king in Jesus. He is the anointed, honored king, the Messiah, who's going to take away the sins of the world. We think Christmas is about lights and presents and family, and those are products of what Christmas is about. Christmas is about God reclaiming humanity for himself in Christ Jesus. That is what Christmas is about. So when we talk about Messiah, we talk about God, we talk about his son Jesus, we talk about God giving Israel the king that they needed. Not the king they wanted, but they needed. King David, great king. All of Israel's hope was in this coming king. And they were getting really desperate and they were getting really burnt out. They were like, maybe that king will come someday. King David, he was great, but man, where is going to be that really good one? And God, in his profound wisdom and timeline, gives the Messiah, Jesus, to Israel. That tells you and me about what God is like. God keeps his promises. Don't miss this important part of Christmas. God keeps his promises. He kept his promise to Israel, which means he keeps his promise to the church today. Which means this, for you and me, it means that every question you've ever had about life and God is yes in Jesus Christ. Amen? Every question you've ever had, does God notice me? Yes, Jesus. Does God care about me? Yes, Look at Jesus. Does God have a plan for my life? Yes, look at Jesus. Does God forgive me? Yes, look at Jesus. Does God see past my mistakes? Yes, look at Jesus. Does God want me to live the life that he's always wanted me to live? Or am I out here on my own? Yes, look at Jesus. Every question you've ever had about life and God is a big old yes with multiple exclamation points. In Jesus. That is what Christmas is about. It's about God keeping his promises. It's about God showing up onto, into our neighborhoods, onto our streets, into our lives, drawing us back to himself. But wait, there's more. How do the shepherds respond to this? What happens next? <laughs> 
This is the funniest part of the Christmas story, I think. Dennis, this part is hilarious. Look at this. God's personal choir, like, gets in their angelic tour bus, which I'm sure is fantastic, leaves heaven, comes to earth, Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those to whom his favor rests. God turns this humble scene of the Bethlehem scene, animals and stables and babies and sheep, and then boom, choir, and sings about it. And the shepherds are like, what in the world? Shepherds did not count themselves out. They didn't ignore the sign. They went and found it out. I ignored the sign on that two-year anniversary of mine. But the shepherds did not. They could have. The shepherds easily could have been like, whoa, I do not trust my senses right now. Why is there an angel in front of my face? And why is there a choir here? I was just tending to sheep. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> nope, they didn't do that. They could have taken their staff and, like, fought off the angel. Like, ah, demon. <laughs> they didn't do that. Nope. Nope, they went and looked for the sign. What's the, what's, the, what's the next part of the story? Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, all right, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has just happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Can we please just stop for a moment and appreciate how ridiculous this scene would have been? Shepherds going and looking for a baby in a stall? Are you kidding me? I'm about to ruin Christmas for you, but can I just tell you right now, Jesus was not born in like a wooden Indiana barn with Christmas lights on it. It just didn't happen, okay? Like, this is the Middle East. There was no wood in the Middle East. It was very likely that their stable was tucked back in a cave because that's how sheep were protected at night. Shepherd would stand in front of the cave, and the cave right there is full of sheep, and they're all pooping on each other, and he's standing right there, and he's like, I'm not going to let any wolves or coyotes get you. And that's precisely where Mary and Joseph ended up, because there was no room for them in the motel. Instead, they had to go to the cave, and that was the stable. So can you picture shepherds being like, all right, we got like four dozen caves to look through. Let's go. So they're like running around, they're like, uh, baby Jesus, oh, sorry, goat. Uh, baby Jesus, oh, just woke up a donkey. And then they finally get to Mary and Joseph in the cave. If I was married, I'd be ticked. This is my nursery, right? Nursing my brand new baby. Got these shepherds that come to the door. Knock, knock, knock. Whoa! Joseph, get the gun! Or the spear, the rock, get something! The shepherds are here and they're going to get my baby. I mean, come on, the shepherds follow the sign that is amazing to me the shepherds go and seek it out they go and find it out they don't ignore it they go and find it verse 17 mary didn't flip a lid she could have verse 17 when they had seen him they spread the word concerning what had been told about them this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them but mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart Shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they were just as they were, had been told. I think Christmas is an opportunity for us to remember what God is like, and how he operates, and what we mean to him. And I think that we get distracted by the goal. 
we ignore the sign, and we get focused on that camping trip. And so as long as my tree looks right at home, it's going to be a great Christmas. As long as the presents are there for the kids, it's going to be a great Christmas. As long as the food is prepped well for my family gathering, even though I don't really like my extended family, it's going to be a good Christmas. As long as I close that deal at work, it'll be a good Christmas. No, it's not, it's not what it's about. If you want to return a gift to God at Christmas this year, do as the shepherds did. Don't ignore the sign. And then do as the shepherds did. The best gift you could ever give God is the worship of his son, Jesus. So if you're a note taker and you're taking notes and you like to take notes, this is the time to take notes. I'm going to give you three simple Christmas ideas that we can live by. This is what Christmas is about. Number one, no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. I've heard that somewhere before. No one is too far. The shepherds are proof. They were the last people on earth that should have ever been told about Christ. No one is too far from God to experience life change with Jesus. That is what Christmas is about. Number two, all are invited to come to Jesus. The variety of life represented at Bethlehem verifies this fact. Think on it just for a moment. Matthew's tradition of the wise men walking all the way from Syria doesn't even say whether or not they made it the night of. They probably made it weeks after. We got wise men, we got farmers, we got, we got, we got uh, Joseph and Mary, and we got shepherds, and like, there's a variety of people in this scene. All are invited to come to Jesus. Number three, all who come to Jesus are changed forever. Matthew's tradition with the wise men, they worship the child. The shepherds worship the child. Mary and Joseph are struck by the reality that God chose them to bring this child into the world. I mean, my goodness. I know there's some shepherds here this morning. I know that there's people in here right now that always feel like they're on the outside looking in. And I also guarantee you've got friends who are always on the outside looking in. Christmas is an opportunity for shepherds and all people to realize that Jesus is for all people. And that news causes great joy that you and I no longer have to work for God's favor, but that He gives it to us and we get to respond in faith. That's why in this moment where we get to respond and worship this morning, you might want to tell God, I've been making Christmas about a lot of things, but I've not been making it about the worship of your son Jesus. I've also not been making it about shepherds. I've not been making it about trying to get people who are far from you to see you. As a matter of fact, God, I feel like the shepherd. I feel like I'm far from you, always on the outside looking in. No more today. You follow that sign. Don't ignore the sign. Don't make God give you five. He's given you one that matters. Pray with me, God. May we as a church see the sign of your Savior. May we understand that the proper response to Christmas is the worship of your son Jesus. Practically speaking, maybe we can all invite a bunch of shepherds in our lives to the Christmas Eve services to hear about your son. God, give us the wisdom to do so. Give us the power to respond to you this morning. We love you. 
We're so grateful that you have gone to great lengths to make it clear that each and every one of us are included in your family and have the opportunity to respond to you and to worship your son. May that be so this morning. In your powerful name, Christ, we said.